All right, well, today we are in the third week of a series of sermons entitled Relevant Church. And uh, we, wanna, we, we want to be a relevant church. Uh, we want to remain true to the Bible, be doctrinally pure, uncompromising on the foundation of faith uh, of, of, the, of Christianity and, and uh, what a church should be and what a church should do. But at the same time, we have to be relevant to reach the culture uh, that is around us. And we know that it is tremendously diverse out here in the northeast area of Columbia, North Richland County. So in our effort to be in t- intentional about reaching that community and being relevant so that we can be true to the gospel and yet uh, relate to the needs that people have, we do all of our planning and praying around our, our, our mission statement. And that mission statement I remind to you as it shows up on the screen is this, connecting people with Christ. That's wherever people are, we want to bring them into relationship with Christ, growing in faith, and once people come to know Christ, then we need to grow in faith. All of us can grow in our faith and learn more. So we got life groups and, and learn groups and lead groups that you can be a part of to, to need to grow in your faith. And then to uh, going to serve and disciple. Like yesterday when we packaged uh, 100, over 100,000 meals over at Free Valley High School. That was going into our community to serve. And gives us an opportunity to witness and, and, and to show that we care about the community in which we live. So there's our mission statement. Connecting people to Christ, growing in faith, and going to serve and disciple. In the previous two messages about relevant church, we've looked first of all at the birth of the church. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. And we know that in all of our planning and dreaming and hoping and praying, nothing will take place unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray for and are obedient to uh, as, as we seek to do these things for the glory of God. Last week, we looked at the foundation of the church, the great statement uh, that uh, uh, Peter made in, in Matthew, uh, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus talked about the fact that he was a solid rock upon which the church would be built. It's a reminder to us that the church, the church, has a solid foundation, and that his promise to us will be true because of that. Because uh, uh, he promises to us that we will uh, shatter the gates of hell and it will not withstand our attack upon that. So when we look at a relevant church, we're always acknowledging Jesus then as the Lord of the church. And that's what we're looking at today. That we need to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of both the church and the life. And we know that's not always true in culture. And sometimes, honestly, that's not even always true for, for churches. They don't always really honor the Lordship of Jesus Christ and have Him first in that. We look at our culture today and we know for sure that this is an age of anxiety. There's so many, so many different thoughts out there and so many different concerns that are out there. So many, it's an age of pluralism. So many ways that people think they can get to God that they don't even care about getting to God. A Forbes magazine article not too long ago was printed that had asked men and women the simple question, why are we so unhappy? This is an unhappy culture we live in. Why are we so unhappy? And the overwhelming response was simply this. We are unhappy because we have lost our moral and spiritual center. We have lost our moral and spiritual center. Bottom line is we're losing our relationship with God. It's a terrible thing that happens when people lose their relationship with God. Look at our culture and you will see the results of that. Now, when you take that to the most extreme, when you lose contact with, with God, you lose connection with God, 
And Christ Jesus is not the center of your life. You can take it to an extreme. Have you ever heard of the name Kevin Ball? B-A-U-G-H? Have you ever heard of the Republic of Molossia? M-O-L-O-S-S-I-A? Not talking about the one that was a, 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 a nation under um, ancient Greece many, many years ago. But Kevin Ball, as it would rather be preferred to be called, His Excellency Kevin Ball uh, is, the, is the prime minister or leader of his own country, the Republic of Melosa. I did a little Google just to see. When I read the article, I did a little Google on that. Okay, country, Republic of Melosa, and it popped up. 226 Mary Lane, Dayton, Nevada. Interesting, isn't it? You know what that land is? That's his 1.3 acre where his three-bedroom, two-bath house is located. That's his republic, the Republic of Melosa. All self-centered in it. But he has everything that any republic or nation would have. He is, again, the excellency about that. He's got a beautiful uniform, all kind of medals on it. He has a space program. Now, it's just a model rocket, but he's got a space program. He has a form of currency, not tied to the gold standard, but tied to, and I don't know how he figures this, the value of chocolate chip cookie dough. He has a railroad. It's just a model track that runs through his, through his home. He has a national sport called broomball. I guess it's something like stickball. And in his landlocked desert region of Nevada, he has a navy. It's an inflatable boat in the swimming pool in the backyard. But he has his own nation. He has been called one of those who has the kingdom of me. That's what he prefers to be called, the kingdom of me. Now, you might not go to the extreme that Kevin Ball has done to create your own republic around your homestead. But in reality, if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, then you are most concerned about the kingdom of me. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and he needs to be Lord of your life if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus being the center of your life and the Lord of your life, you will lose your connection to God. Unless we are centered in Jesus Christ as Lord, there's confusion about directions and goals and purpose and meaning in life. And that's both for individuals and the church. There's a great scene in the work Alice in Wonderland. You might remember that. Alice comes to a fork in the road, and there's a Cheshire cat there. And Alice says to the cat, which way do I go? And the cat asks, well, where are you going? And Alice says, I'm not sure. And the cat says, if you don't know where you're going, then one road is just as good as another. You see, without Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you have no direction. Unless we confess Jesus Christ as Lord of the church, we will travel an unmarked, perilous, dangerous journey in making decisions about how we're going to reach our neighborhood, how we're going to go about the discipling process, how we're going to embrace our community with service and leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the early church had no problem with that. And the reason for that was because they acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. They had a simple four-word statement about it. Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's what it meant to them. And should mean to us. 
If we say Jesus Christ is Lord, it means that for us, Jesus Christ is uniquely in charge. And we are prepared to obediently follow wherever he leads us, whether it's where we want to go or not. It's where he wants us to go and how he wants us to go. If we say Jesus Christ is Lord, that means that his priorities become our priorities. If we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we will take our faith seriously. See, I think that's a great concern for the church today. I think it's a great concern for our church. Because if we take our faith seriously, we will worship together. We will fellowship. We will pray. We will give. We will serve all in the pattern of Jesus Christ and for his glory. And if we say Jesus Christ is Lord then we are prepared to give to Jesus all that we are. All that we are if he is the Lord of our life. Now I want us to look at a passage of scripture in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 23. When we read this, it will find that this is a, a great example of Paul's theology to the Colossians about Jesus Christ. It's a high Christology. He has a wonderful high view of who Jesus is. And in this writing... He tells us not only what Jesus has done for us, but he gives us three great reasons why we should allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life. Now understand this. He affirms that Jesus is Lord and that he is everything. And in that, he gives us three reasons why we should allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of both the church and our life. So we begin in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and, from the, and, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, had become a servant. Now, those are wonderful, powerful words here in the introduction to the Colossians about Jesus Christ and his supremacy. And Paul makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is everything. So, what are the three things that, Jesus, that Paul says to us are reasons why we should allow Jesus to be Lord of our life? Number one, Jesus is Lord because of who he is. That's a wonderful word of description that Paul uses here. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created and for him. And, and verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is everything because he is Lord. Jesus came as the visible word of the invisible God. He is the, he is the exact representation of the image of God. We couldn't grasp what God was like. We couldn't understand what God was like. He was remote and distant and far removed from us. So God came to us in the form of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son. And He showed us in every way what God is like. The, the late brilliant British scientist Stephen Hawking once observed, quote, the eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe, end quote. Well, if I read my Bible correctly, I believe that that theory is not just a theory, but that theory finds its resolution in a man by the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the exact representation of God, who came as God in the flesh, and who is Jesus Christ the Lord, and He is that one uniting force that holds all of life together. Jesus is everything. And because He is everything, He has supremacy over every creation. And He asks to be allowed to be the Lord of your life and have supremacy over your life and the life of this church. He has absolute authority. The second thing that, Je that, that Paul says to us, why we should allow Jesus to be our Lord, is because of what He has done. For what he has done. Verses 13 through 14, he talks about the fact that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God, he, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Then, verses 20 through 21, he talks about the fact that he reconciled us to himself, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And verse 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I think there are several things to point out here that Paul points out for us as to why Jesus is to be Lord of our life and because of what He's done. Number one, He is the source of our redemption. There are a lot of different words that we use theologically to describe the salvation experience and encountering God and finding peace with God. We use the word atonement, sacrifice, propitiation. But I think redemption maybe we identify with because it simply means to pay a price to purchase something from bondage or captivity. That was the mission that Jesus stated when He came. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The Colossians would know what Paul was talking about. But many, many people back in that day were in slavery, the bondage of slavery, for various reasons. And they didn't have any means of getting free from that slavery. But somebody could go to the slave auction, they could purchase them, and then set them free. And Paul is making abundantly clear to us that what Jesus did is that we were slaves, enslaved in our sins. And he came and he redeemed us. He paid the price that God demanded for our freedom and for his demands against sin as a righteous God to be satisfied. He's the source of our redemption. Then secondly, Jesus is the offer of our reconciliation. When Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden, they broke that fellowship with God. Why did, the, why, did, why did God create Adam and Eve to begin with? Why does He create us? Why does He continue to create human beings? We dedicated a child today, a form of life, 
a miracle of birth. I'm always amazed at that. Why does God allow that to happen? It's because he wants fellowship with us. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They broke that fellowship with God because they were in sin and God's holy and righteous. And they couldn't have fellowship with God. And the same is true with us. In sin, we we have our relationship broken with God. We've lost contact with God. But God constantly pursues us. He wants that relationship. And so he sent Jesus Christ to tell us how much God loves us. And Paul is saying that he's the offer of reconciliation. Only by committing your life to Jesus can you be reconciled to God. Can things be made right between you and God. And the third thing Paul points out is that Jesus is the security of our salvation. He talked about the fact that if you continue in the faith, then you are secure, you're saved, you're safe. See, we have been purchased with the rich, red, royal blood of Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate the true believer from the love of God. We are saved for all eternity through Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything. And Paul says, because of what he has done and who he is, then he should be Lord of our life. And then thirdly, he says that Jesus is Lord because of who we are. Who are we? He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by God's physical body, if you continue in the faith, established and firm, he talks about the fact that we have been redeemed and we are reconciled to God. In other words, we are people of faith. We are kingdom people. We are people who claim Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we should also say as our Lord and mean that because he's our Redeemer and our Reconciler. We are the church, the people of God. We are the people who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Apostle Paul confessed Jesus as his Lord, and Jesus was the center of his life. The early church confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord, and he was the center of the life of the church, and that church embraced its community and left its mark upon that culture. What kind of mark can we leave upon this culture around us. We know it's tremendously diverse. We know that we are part of the state of South Carolina where 3.6 million people do not have a relationship with God. They're far from God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do to bring those people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Not much if Jesus isn't Lord of the church and Lord of our lives. See, we have to be relevant. But remember that the message never changes, though the methods might change frequently. We have to be relevant as to how we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ. Who we are is that we are the church. We're the people of God. And we have to allow him to be Lord in spite of three great challenges. And they don't really hold a lot of elaboration. Number one is competition. You know as well as I do. You know as well as I do that Jesus Christ is in competition with a whole slew of things to be the Lord of your life. A lot of things. 
I started naming some of them in the nine o'clock worship hour, and I realized I might alienate some people. So let me just, just broad stroke it and say, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's not necessarily bad things that take their place. Not necessarily bad things that take the place of Jesus. It's just things that you want more than what you want Jesus' Lordship in your life. People tell me the problem, drive down Polo Road on Sunday morning, there's thousands of people down there at the soccer field. That's the problem today. And I said, no, that's not the problem. That's the symptom of the problem. The problem is that people have chosen that life over a spiritual life committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That kind of wraps up everything you can say about the competition that Jesus has today. Did he have competition back when the early church was there? Yeah. It wasn't Nintendo and it wasn't, it wasn't iPhones and it wasn't cable TV or satellite television. It wasn't beach houses and it wasn't mountain houses. It wasn't all that kind of stuff. But there was competition, always has been. But those who were sold out to having Jesus Christ at the very center of their life understand that. And they allow Jesus to be Lord. A.W. Tozer, I think, said it well so many years ago. He said, practically everyone has too much, knows too much, sees too much, hears too much, goes too many places, and comes back from too many places. Here's what I think he was saying. Life has a center. And we should operate out of the center for our life to be full and meaningful. But instead of that, our life is controlling. We operate out there on the perimeter where it's just slinging wildly out in space. But if Jesus is at the center of our life, then life is going to be maintained and controlled. And we'll live out of the center because Christ is the Lord of our life. So competition. The second one is compromise. We will not compromise the biblical doctrines. We will not compromise on the plan of salvation. We will not compromise where the Bible speaks. But a lot of people have. A lot of denominations have. A lot of churches have. We will be relevant. But we will also be true to the word of God. The apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy and he told him a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There are a lot of itching ears out there. Your ears itching today? You might be wanting something else. You might be wanting to compromise. Well, I, I, I want to be, be like Jesus today on Sunday, but I want to be what I want to be the rest of the time. That when you compromise with sin, when you compromise with holiness, when you compromise with commitment, your heart begins to grow cold. And we become as a church, like the church at Laodicea that was lukewarm and Jesus spit it out of his mouth. And he told them that they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Compromise with Christ and he says he will spew you out of his mouth. And then the last one is conceit. Conceit is at the heart of self. It's the heart that I think we're born with. Today that conceit is that the life of the church has to revolve around me. You know why so many churches are dying today? And there are churches that die every week all across America. 
They do because the vast majority of people in that church said, church is not about God and it's not about the people who are yet to come, which is what it's supposed to be. But it's all about me. They got an eye problem. I want this song. I want this style of worship. I want this time. I want this. And I want this. And I want my needs met. That's living out of conceit. You might not go to the, to the extreme that our friend did in Nevada and establish your own republic. But out of your heart, you're saying, I, I, my heart wants it about me and what my heart says. You can't do that if Jesus is Lord of your life. See, as a relevant church, we have to live and confess. We'd be real and relevant that Jesus is Lord of our life. I read a quote the other day that said, The relationship between the obedience of God's people and the triumph of God's cause is not a relationship of cause and effect, but one of cross and resurrection. That's lordship. That's lordship. And when lordship is real, these are the last bullet points on your outline. I think this is something practical here you can take to heart. Let me just give you these things real quick. I think there's six of them. So when Jesus is Lord of your life, your love for him, number one, recognizes his divine sovereignty. He is the sovereign God. He's Lord and you're not. Secondly, your love for him transcends all other desires. All other desires, his love comes first. Your love for him delights to do his will. Wherever he leads you, whatever it is. Your love for him rejoices in his word. You read the word, you study the word, you practice the word, you live the word. Your love for him motivates all that you do. There's no hidden agendas. There's no I problem behind it. But you do it for the glory of God as Jesus is your Lord. And lastly, your love for him desires others to know him. You see, when Jesus is at the very center of our life and we live around that center, and Jesus is the Lord of our life, that's how we live. A relevant church has Jesus as the Lord of its life. And the way that happens is that the people of that church have Jesus as the Lord of their life. Will you make Jesus, allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of Scripture that remind us once again of who Jesus is, your exact representation that came to earth and of the depth of your love for us that you would send your own flesh and shed his blood that we might be redeemed and be reconciled with you. Father, help us now in faith to put Jesus Christ where he rightfully belongs, which is in the center of our life, as the Lord of our life. And may he be the Lord of this church, that he motivates everything we do, not for our glory, not for our selfish ambition, but for the growth of your kingdom and your kingdom only. Help us to make the decisions that allow Jesus to be both Lord of the church and of life. In Jesus' name, amen.